coming up, Mary Jo takes another Day 6 drive. From points across California, you're listening to the Disneyland edition of the Diz Unplugged. This is the Diz Unplugged Disneyland Edition, episode 576, for the week of May 15th, 2016. The Diz Unplugged Disneyland Edition is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, helping you plan the perfect Disneyland vacation. Visit them on the web at www.dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello everyone, and welcome to the show. I am your host, Tom Bell, and I'm joined by my good friends, Nancy Johnson. Oh, hey, sorry, I was answering Chatterati's. Dustin! <laughs> <laughs> and, Ma- and Mary Jo Mulatto Willie. Hello. <laughs> so we're heading south this time. TJ, right? We, well, not quite, but. Okay. We're one, one of these, of these days, days yes, yeah. We gotta do a Tijuana yeah, trip, all t- of us. Day six to Tijuana. Mary Jo can get Tom out of jail. <laughs> yes, no. <laughs> In the Tijuana jail, there's a song. Okay. Yeah. We'll so, where are we heading? Okay, well, we've we've pretty much hit all the beaches in Southern California. Mm-hmm. So, we're done with beaches and we're going inland to a pretty cool park called the San Diego Safari Park. And this Which, is t- surprisingly uh, enough, isn't in San Diego. Well, it is in the northern county of San Diego. Oh, okay. So, even though it's it, the address is Escondido and, and it's in this valley, whatever, it's in the northern county. Because San Diego County is pretty big and reaches all the way up to this place. So, um, it's an 1,800-acre safari-style zoo, and it's, called, it's in the San Pasqual Valley area of San Diego. So it's one of the largest tourist attractions in the San Diego County, and with good reason. The park has a wide variety of animals, more than 300 species, 2,600 animals um, from six of the seven continents, which would be the Americas, Europe, Asia, Australia, and Africa. And in addition to all the animals, the Safari Park also has this beautiful botanical garden. Our beautiful botanical gardens. There's more than just one. Um, behind the scenes, the park has the world's largest veterinarian hospital, and it also hosts the Institute for Conservation Research. So there's a lot going on in this park, and um, luckily for us, it's open to the public so we get to see a part of it. It is also Southern California's quarantine center for the zoo animals that are imported into the United States through San Diego, and it's affiliated with zoos all over the U.S. and the world in an animal exchange program, which prevents hazards of inbreeding. So they they should talk to us about this database that they have. Um, I think there's over 200 zoos in the U.S., 75 zoos throughout the world, and they all communicate with each other so that um, the same animals are not breeding within each other. So they do uh, transport transport the animals, and they were telling us um, just how, what goes into it. There's a lot of work and a lot of care. So kudos to the people who run the zoo as a, just a, as, as a comment for what they do. Um, the database keeps track of the animals, where they are, their health, and even who they've mated with. So a day at the park, you would visit the various botanical areas, the animal enclosures, uh, the huge aviary that they have there and the small one with the lorikeets. You'd also ride the Africa tram. Uh, and see a cheetah run. All of this is included for your day at the park. 
The free-ranging closures there include such animals as antelopes, giraffes, buffalo, large birds, rhinos, etc. Darn it, I wasn't going to say etc. <laughs> <laughs> but animals from A to Z, etc., <laughs> etc. Et uh, so, and as you know, I like to talk a little about a, a little bit about the history of the places that I visit. So, the park began as a breeding facility for the San Diego Zoo with a more natural environment and large areas for the animals to roam while they were doing their thing. In the early 60s, <laughs> the zoo... She said thing! I did. <laughs> I'm from Southern California. We say stuff like that. We <laughs> need the, some special music for that. You know, they've got... Anyway. Bow, chicka, wow, wow. <laughs> Wasn't going to go there, but okay. And, and, it's, and it's highly successful, as you can see throughout the world, all the animals, but... Um, in the early 60s, the zoo leadership decided that this area should be open to the public. And on Wednesday, May 10th, 1972, it did. At that time, it was called the San Diego Wild Animal Park. And people today still call it the San Diego Wild Animal Park. The general layout included a large lagoon with a jungle plaza, an African fishing village, an aviary at the entrance, and over 50,000 plants. Um, they were included since Southern California is a semi-arid area or extremely arid, extremely arid these days. And they needed some more lush vegetation. Uh, the first two animals that were, um, delivered to the park, um, were an antelope from India and a zebra from Africa. Also in 2003, 11 wild African elephants were rescued from Africa because they feared that they would be killed due to overpopulation. So seven of these elephants are still at the park and they've produced more than 13 baby elephants. Uh, five of the elephants were moved to a zoo in Arizona. In 2010, the name changed, the name changed from the San Diego, um, excuse me. In 2010, they changed the name of the park to the San Diego Safari Park to help visitors differentiate between the San Diego Zoo environment versus the Safari Park environment. So that's the reason why they did the name change. Um, recently, I had the opportunity to visit the San Diego Safari Park with my daughter Kelly and good friend Leslie. We went on Earth Day, which was a great way to celebrate. The Safari Park has a wonderful website that you can go to to plan your day and get the most out of your visit. We decided that in addition to visiting the different um, exhibits at the park, that we would do the behind-the-scenes tiger safari at the end of the day. So I'll tell you more about that later. In addition to checking out the various activities on the website, Leslie had been there several times, so she was able to kind of help us and guide us so that we could um, make better time of our visit so we weren't running back and forth. So she would kind of say, okay, now let's go here, let's go there. But um, if you do go to the website, you can pretty much plan your day, and they have a great map um, to use that they give you when you go in. I highly recommend going over the map and planning out your day so that you're not going back and forth because the park is big. <laughs> so we started our day right when the park opened at 9 a.m. and we planned on visiting the various areas and seeing all the shows we could. Personally, I love animal shows, so I was really looking forward to seeing them. And me being an animal lover, Kelly takes it to the next exponential degree. She loves animals, so she was also looking forward to seeing the shows and, and hopefully touching animals if she could. 
our goal also was to go early on the African tour while the, on the African tram tour while the animals are still active. Since the tour doesn't start till 11 a.m., we had a couple of hours to explore the park. So the first thing we did is we headed right to the Tiger Trail, which opened in 2012. So it's relatively still a, a new section of the park. In fact, um, three of the tiger cubs that I had mentioned in our new show, Nelson, Kathy, and Debbie are the names of the cubs, were recently, um, they've recently been allowed to go out into the enclosure, which allows guests to see them play, interact with each other and their mom. The trail itself is a beautiful walk, and it allows you to see the tigers from different areas. We had different overlooks where we could look down into the different enclosures, and they also had a glass wall so that we could see the tigers up close, which I thought was really cool. And at lunchtime, they retire the tigers and then bring them out again in the afternoon. So what they do is they switch out the tigers. They don't want to put the different um, groups of tigers together because they're not integrated with each other. And so in order to keep them from stressing out having other animals, they bring out different groups. So in the morning, you get one group, then they go back into the back to go eat, and then another group comes out in the afternoon. Um, be sure to visit the area either before or after lunchtime so that you're there when their tigers are there, because I think they have like an hour when there's no tigers there. And check your guide um, for the hours. After the tiger trail, uh, we continued our walk, and we ended up in the world gardens that go up to the Condor Ridge. I love this area of the park. We saw so many different exhibits. Over here, they celebrate more of the California animals and the animals that are kind of either endangered or threatened. So we were able to walk among natural California habitat and see these exhibits. So they, for instance, had the, an American bald eagle there. It had been injured, and so they cannot release it into the wild. And that's typically what happens is they have a lot of animals that can't be let loose, and so they care for them at the park. We also some, saw some wild um, bighorn sheep, which are prevalent throughout California, but you really can't see them because they're usually high up and on the cliffs, and it's hard to uh, to detect them among the rocks. So it was kind of cool to see them here. At the top of the ridge, they have this huge, I'll call it an aviary, but they have California condors up there. And these birds are, they have like a nine, nine foot wingspan. So they're, they're really, really big. And a cool thing about the safari park and the California condor, at one time in California, there were only 22 left, period. There is, there, it was, they were on the verge of extinction. So, and Nancy might have known this from the, going to the LA Zoo. So the yeah. Safari Park and the Los Angeles Zoo paired up. They caught the condors and they started, um, they put them on a kind of a accelerated breeding. Um, they have a huge breeding and education program at the Los Angeles Zoo. Yeah. And which is really cool. Yeah. I remember seeing them there too. So what they would do is when the condors would, would lay an egg, they would take the egg so that the condors would be, um, they, so they would lay another egg. And so the first egg they would take and incubate it, the condor would have another egg. And so that way they were able to repopulate California. So they went from 22 to, um, like over 350 condors now that have been let out into the wild in California. So that's a huge, huge um 
win for them to be able to do something like that. And part of the reason why they, they die, of course, is because the poison that people use for rodent control. Um, unfortunately, not all of the rodents die right away and they escape to the wild where they're eaten by our wildlife neighbors like the coyotes, mountain lions, and raptors like the California condor. Um, local to us in California, in Los Angeles, one of our cougars almost died from being poisoned from eating rodents. And so that, that cougar was able to, um, survive. And so he's, he, he, I think it's a he, he looks healthy now, but for like a year and a half, he, it looked like we were going to lose him. So it's, it's just really important that people, you know, they educate you when you go to these parks on, on being careful about the things that we do that can in, affect the environment. It's not just what we have around our home. So I'll get off my little soapbox. But I, I just think that was well, really important. Well, it's an important, important soapbox because, yeah. you know, we just don't realize as humans what we do sometimes. I yeah. mean, we're stupid. Yeah. Yeah, we, we just are inconsiderate. We just don't think. So, you know, seeing these huge birds with some of the backstory and the efforts to save the species really gives me a good appreciation for the safari park and their endeavors to to save wildlife throughout the world and to preserve um, animals in a natural environment. And on top of that, let us see the, see the animals in this environment also. Um, and speaking of appreciation, one of the cool things that I, that I like from this area of the park is we could see out over the park itself and the surrounding hills. And it was so beautiful to see the natural California landscape and the park and just how big it is over there. Um, it was really, really pretty. And then we ran across some native moochers taking advantage of the lush greenery of the park. And those would be the California mule deer that just jump the fence and, and wander Ooh. around the park. Yeah. So that was kind of cool too. So we spent some time up in this section and then we went, uh, we continued our walk to go see the botanical gardens. And of note in this area is the bonsai garden, which is pretty big. Um, and some really old trees, um, and the epiphyllum house and the epiphyllum are the beautiful cactus flowers. And at the time that we went to the greenhouse, they were all in bloom. So typically I would just go through and say, Oh yeah, pretty flowers, you know, and keep going. But Leslie Kelly and I decided to go inside and do some exploring. And there were hundreds and hundreds of flowers in there. And each one that we saw was different. The colors were different. The shapes were different. They were just, just really beautiful. And every one of these plants had names. They had the Wicked Witch, the Oakley Bouquet, Rainbow Trail, Easter Morn, Flamingo Gorge, and a whole bunch of other, other names that they had. We found one that was called Kelly. We saw one called Brandy. It was no Mary Jo's in there though. So, uh, I should have left a suggestion box. They should name a plant after Mary Jo. But, um, or we could call one called the Diz, right? Um, so I wonder, I was kind of thinking, you know, how, how the heck do they come up with these names and who actually cares for these plants? Cause they were just really, there were so many of them. And like I said, all different colors, uh, we would admire a particularly beautiful flower to turn the corner. And then we'd see another one that was even more, uh, special and just beautiful. So we really enjoyed that walk more than what I thought. So after we admired these blooms, we headed out to the gardens and we walked towards the other side of the park to catch the African tram tour, which was, like I said, is included in the park admission and was going to start soon. So of course, on the way, we had to visit more exhibits. 
we uh, went to, it's an, called the Nairobi Village, and it has a little house with different animals in, in, um, I'll call them exhibits again. And we saw some pancake tortoises, African parrots, as well as other animals, small animals that they had. And the pancake tortoises, I had never seen such a flat tortoise before. It kind of looked like a car had run over them. I don't know if you guys have ever seen them, but they were pretty cool. And they are a threatened species. So it was good to see that. We also passed an enclosure with some newborn goats in it. Um, and other animals. Yeah. Oh my gosh. They were so cute. It wasn't just ghosts. It was antelope. It was a bunch of hoofed animals that were, uh, just like from one day old to a few weeks old. And the, Aww. the baby goat was already jumping. They have this big rock in this enclosure and the baby goat was already jumping on the big rock that they had there because that's natural instinct. They were so cute. So this is also where we had one of our awesome interactions with the park docents that are, um, they're pretty much at almost all the exhibits and there's, they're there to answer questions and just share what they know about the animals. So we spoke with Steve, who I understand once worked at the animal kingdom and uh, with him was uh, another gentleman named Mike that both work at the safari park. And Steve told us all about the different baby animals. Um, they, Raise them because the moms reject them. So usually they say, especially if there's twins, the mom typically rejects one. And they always watch when the, the babies are born to see if the moms are going to keep them or not. So as soon as the, they realize the mom's going to reject them, they take them and they take care of them. So they have different holding pens. They have holding pens for the little ones like we saw. And then they have a bigger, another pen for once they get bigger and they're, almost ready to, let's say, defend themselves when they're reintroduced to the herd. And they keep them there until they're ready to be introduced or to get them ready to go to other zoos. The next stop on our tram tour was the bat enclosure. And unlike the one at the Animal Kingdom, this one had a screen between the bats and us. And I found out at Animal Kingdom, if you guys haven't seen, gone on the Pangani Trail, you need to go on the Pangani Trail. Because it's, it's amazing. Cool. Oh my gosh! I yeah, it's one of my favorite. I love parts. the bat area. Yeah. Oh, so do I. And and they told us the reason why the bats that there's no um, screen is because the bats don't fit through the rails, so there's no way that they're going to come at us or anything like that. But here, these are small. I think um, fruit bats, and they were very active. So what they've done is they have plants in the enclosure. Of course. And then they've got these screens that they climb on and those bats were climbing all over or they would jump or they would do like a little fly to uh, get to the food and everything. So it was really entertaining and they're so cute. I know a lot of people think bats are kind of scary, or whatever, but they really are cute animals. So we had a real kick watching them and pretty much everything I've talked to talked about right now. I was periscoping. Um, at the time. So if any of this sounds familiar, thank you to you guys who joined me on the Periscope when I was, when we were here looking at all these different um, animals and exhibits, because it, it was just amazing. And I was really anxious or excited to share it with everybody. Um, besides the animals that I was, the bats that I showed you that they were jumping and climbing to get the food, there were also other sound asleep that had that typical uh, bat posture, you know, where they're hanging upside down and wrapped with their wings wrapped around them, which is really cool too. 
So from the bats, we then went to another enclosure, and this is the lemur enclosure. So what they do here is they have a door that you walk in, and once that door clo- closes, then you can go into the through the inner door to go into these enclosures so the animals don't escape. So we're in here with these lemurs, which was really cool, except for the fact that they were pretty much sleeping. They were all just out. So, of course, I was thinking of that song, I've got to move it, move it, right? N- not these lemurs. They were, they were from just, Madagascar. Yeah, from Madagascar. So they were, but, um, it was kind of cool going through there also because you're going through a natural environment to see these animals. And we could just see them. They were on their little platforms or little cages. So we went through there and then we ended up walking to, the elevator that ta- would take us down to the tram tour. So let me just tell you, I haven't said it, it's pretty hilly in the safari park. So you're either walking up or down. Um, and all of the pathways are accessible. So there's no problem. It's just that probably be better if you had a motorized ECV or a very strong person to push you up through some of these spaces. However, there's also some areas that are more level to go visit. And to go down to the tram tour, like I said, there's an elevator that takes you to the lower sections of the park where you're going to see the African um, field enclosures. This experience, um, oh, and as we walked to, to the elevator, we also passed a pretty cool jungle looking area with platforms in the trees. And that, which I realized where this is the jungle safari area. So the jungle safari is a 90 minute experience where you walk across rope bridges, aerial tight ropes, swinging log steps, and moving platforms. And you do other adventures while you're up there. And you're, you can be up as high as 35 feet up in the trees. So of course you have a safety harness while you do this and there's staff members to help you if you need to get from one area to another, but they call this a level one. So it's not real, um, hazardous. Well, it's not hazardous at all. They're not going to let anybody do anything that's going to, where they're going to get hurt. They have, but as far as the difficulty to do this, it's more of a fun adventure than something that's going to be real challenging. So I know Kelly's going to want to do this next time we go. And I was kind of looking at that. But finally, we go through that area and we get to the elevator that took us down to the African tram tour entrance. And um, as I was saying, the valley, the Safari Park is located in a valley. So there's a lot of hills and slopes in the area. We passed on the way to the Safari tram tour entrance. We passed the balloon safari experience. And if any of you remember back in, oh my gosh, I think it was 2008 when Pete and Walter were there. Uh, Walter wanted to go up in the balloon and Pete was scared to death and didn't want to go up in the balloon. But, um, I, I thought of them as we walked past it. So it's this huge air balloon that takes you up in the, it's a tethered hot air balloon that goes up about 400 feet high and you're up there for less than 15 minutes and you get this view of the whole, whole valley plus the safari park and you can see the animals from that view. So, I think it's another kind of cool experience if that's something that you'd like to do. Today, I mean, the day that we went there would have been great because it was very clear and sunny that day. So before taking the elevator down, we looked out over the savanna from a platform high above. And again, we could see so many animals in the distance. And then we went down and made our way to the trams. On our way, we passed the Roar and Snore Safari Campground. This is where guests get to spend the night in the park, which is so cool. Have you done that, Nancy? 
No. Or is that something that you you think your girls would like to do? Oh, they probably love to. Um, Leslie did this with her kids, and if I remember correctly, my sister-in-law did it with her sons, um, and they all loved that experience. They thought it was really cool. So what they have are, like, tent cabin, like canvas tents that you sleep like in. Like glamping? Yeah, it, it's definitely glamping because you're in the safari park. But for those of us who, um, you know, don't have the funds to go to Africa, you get to go there and you hear the animals as the sun sets and as life. Because a lot of these animals, you know, they're nocturnal. So that's when you're going to hear things um, come to life and again be there early in the morning when the animals who are day animals are up when the sun rises it's fun to experience it there so something to consider for people who'd like to have that extra experience uh, we then went through the lion camp where we saw a pride of lions and there were a couple of females sleeping next to the glass and looking down at them and the size of their paws oh my gosh these animals were huge um, once again, one of the docents was standing there and she gave us so many interesting tidbits and she answered questions and she just told us so much about the lions. They, they know the history of them so that she's able to tell us about the, the two girls and the male lion that was also, he was sleeping out in the middle of the, the field. And, uh, it, she really just gave us a good appreciation of the animals that were, that we were looking at. And, you know, and one of the sad realities, again, when we face going to such an informative place as a safari park is to see how man has really affected other species on our planet. You know, it's a, it's a real shame, but I'm glad that there's places like this that provide habitats similar to their natural ones and they keep the animals healthy and they're just so careful about that. Um, the male lion that I was telling you about there was was just stretched out in the in the middle of the grass and then everybody was ooing and aahing. He turned over and everybody got so excited because he was moving and he just turned over and just stretched out and went back to sleep again. But typical cat, you know, they sleep so many hours of the day. So we finally made it to the trams and it's a good thing we went early because when we got there, we were able to board the next tram. There was hardly any line. And when we did come back, the line had grown significantly. We would have had probably a half hour wait or more. So the tram tour itself is about 45 minutes long. It takes guests out past this huge lagoon with flamingos and other birds and takes you to a couple of what they call field enclosures that has various animals roaming around. So we saw, and this is where we saw animals from A to Z, including the antelopes, giraffes, of course, rhinos, deer, large birds like emus, and we saw zebras. And like I said earlier, this is the closest we'll ever get to an African safari for the most of, for most of us. And it also provides a distinct experience than you would get at a zoo as what you think of a, a typical zoo. While on the tour, the guide told us about the animals and their experience at the safari park. And it was so interesting. We got to see so many, um, a lot of baby animals, especially in the springtime. And they had the baby giraffe and we saw some people feeding the giraffes. And so that was cool. After the tram tour, we stayed in that area. Uh, we had a bite to eat at what they call the Okavango outpost. And this area is where they have a cheetah run. And the cheetah run is at 3.30 on the day that we were. You can see how fast a cheetah can go. They, they set out this, um, like a lure. It's like, it's the toy. It's the cheetah's toy. And the cheetah goes after it. So you, you can, uh, watch that every day. And that's part of the, 
park admittance. So we ate, we stayed in that area because there was this mama cheetah and she had six cubs and they were lazing around, but the cubs were also playing. So we got to watch them while we ate and it was just such a pretty area. And then you see birds flying around and just, just the whole, it's, like you feel like you're far away, far away on vacation. It was just really neat. And so after we ate, we walked around and we saw there was like the, another docent talking about cheetahs and she had two traffic cones, um, put and they were a significant distance. And she was saying that at a full run, the cheetah's feet will leave the ground at this spot and land at this spot. That's what she was telling us. And I didn't measure it, but holy cow, that was far. So mm-hmm. I would, uh, just to think a, of a cheetah running after an animal, even though they don't run for a long time, but for the stride that they have, that's that's a serious leap. So you know how we took the elevator down. We decided that instead of taking the elevator up, that we would walk on another trail called the African Plains Trail. Now, this trail allowed us to see different other animals that we didn't see on the tram tour. We saw the elephant enclosure, and they have, um, like the ones that I told you about earlier, and they have uh, two separate areas that the w- elephants can wander back and forth from. And they, there were several elephants there. There were some babies there. They were, the babies were playing. I think there was a ball or something that they were tossing around. And beating up while they were there. And another one was eating hay. Another one was drinking water. So it was kind of neat to see that. They also have a viewing patio where you could look, watch the, the elephants. And again, there's another docent there to explain um, about them or chat about them. They're just, if you look at them and you look like you might be interested, they just start telling you about the animals and everything. So Things that you wouldn't even think to ask, they're telling you, you're learning about them, which was cool. So we continued on up, saw some more animals, and then they had a lorikeet aviary. And the lorikeet aviary has like, it's real cute, it has like a little clock that tells you if they're hungry or not hungry. And it wasn't their feeding time, said they wasn't hungry, but since I had Kelly, I got her some nectar anyway, to just in case that she could feed one. And I was glad... I did because there was this old lorikeet. I think it was 28 years old. Feathers were falling off of it. It was it was kind of like a bald lorikeet. Think of that. Probably like one that Tony spit on earlier. But um, the so the lorikeet was just walking on the ground, and so she fed it. And then there was another one that came up, and it landed on her hand, and so she fed that one. So I was really happy that she was able to um, to feed them. So there's quite a few in there, and there's other little girls. Or not little girls. There are other um, people feeding the lorikeets. And there was still more park to visit. We had seen quite a bit, but there was more. So we continued on, headed out of the lorikeet enclosure or aviary. And they have a gorilla trail that takes you to the gorilla forest. And this is another enclosure that looks more like a jungle. Uh, when you think of a jungle with the greenery and stuff. And they had a grayback there and they had a um, bunch of I'm trying to think how many gorillas we saw. Maybe about six or seven. And they had a baby gorilla and they had a, like a teenager. And it was so cute because the baby, he wasn't really a baby. He was like a little child gorilla. They were chasing each other around a tree. And then the little gorilla ran away. And then he was looking back over his shoulder at the other one to chase him. And just, there was so much activity going on. And 
it was really fun to watch. And then there was another one that went up. I guess they had put some food in a different area. So it went up to go find the food and then was carrying it down with it. And so they're, they were, again, really active. And there was a lot that we could see there. Very entertaining. So we continued along the Gorilla Trail to, they have this big lagoon um, with a lot of different birds and waterfalls, just really beautiful areas for kids to play in. They had these like, I won't call them stepping stones, but they were like floating pads that the kids could run on um, in, a, in a very contained area so they wouldn't fall into the water, but they still got splashed and wet and we could hear them laughing. They have different areas throughout the park that is for kids to be entertained. So we ended up at the Nairobi station. Uh, this is that area that I told you before where we saw the pancake tor tortoises. Well, there is a screen and Robert the zebra was chatting with the children. So for those of you Disney fans, think of Turtle Talk with Crush. That's the experience with Robert the zebra. So there were all these children and it wasn't in close. He was like out in the open. So anybody who's wandering by could sit down and, and interact with him. So he was answering children's questions and talking to them. So that was fun to watch and see. And since we were back in the Nairobi village, tell, Kelly took advantage of going to the to the petting zoo and petting some of the goats there. And they also have grooming brushes. So kids were getting out and brushing the goats and everything. So that was fun. They also had some sheep, very shaggy yay. sheep there. Yeah. <laughs> did you say yay or did you say bay? Yay. Okay. Well, I could say bay. <laughs> But yeah, so they had, you know, and, and of course the, the animals have their safe zones if they want to go there, but they're pretty tame. Okay, so now it was time for us to head for our two-hour behind-the-scenes tiger safari. So we went near the entrance. It was the, we, since it's two hours, we decided to do it at the end of the day. The park closed at five and it was nearing 3 p.m. So we went near the entrance to the location where we were going to meet our guide and her name is Adriana. She first took us to a cart that would be taking us around. And there were an additional three people to make us a group of six. And out of the six people, it was our group that did 95% of the talking during the entire tour. No. <laughs> it's, I know it's a Not shocker. You. <laughs> it wasn't, it was, it was, it was so funny. It was all three of us. She ended up telling us that we were so much fun because the other people were just kind of like, they didn't say anything. And I'm not saying that we didn't give them the opportunity to say anything, but they were just really quiet. So I almost felt like it was our tour and they were the background people. But it was a <laughs> lot of fun. So, so she first took us to the backstage area. We drove through it. Um, and it's where they keep the ambassador animals. And the ambassador animals are the animals that they bring out to the safari park to either show the guests and explain about them or to have interaction with the guests where you might get to pet them and stuff like that. So we saw this wild pig. I don't even know what kind of an animal it was. It was a type of pig um, that they were taking it, about to take it on a walk. So they waited till we got there so they could show it to us. And um, they showed us some of the, because they're ambassador animals, they teach them little tricks. Even if it's like trot to me so I can feed you type stuff. So they showed us a couple of things that the pig did, and then they took off with it. So then um, the next animal that they brought out, which was part of the experience, was a 
they brought out the pancake tortoise that we had seen earlier in the exhibit. Um, they didn't allow us to touch it because of a fear of salmonella. One thing that they do is they have you wash your hands before you go into an enclosure and before you come out. So they're not only concerned about our health, but also the health of the animals. And she said that they don't have enough uh, antibacterial soap to give to everybody who pets the tortoise. And so, of course, she had no problem touching it, but I guess because there's always that fear and people are more careful these days, we could, we could only look at it, not touch it. So she had it walk around and told us about it and everything. Then they brought out um, a little prairie dog. And so before she could even say, do I have a volunteer, Kelly said, I'll be your volunteer. So typical of our group. So Kelly became the volunteer, and they had her approach the prairie dog, stand close, crouch down, and stand up slowly to help get the animal. Um, they're trying to get it used to people before they take it out into the regular park. So they were just explaining to us what they do to acclim acclimate the animals to the people. And then they actually let her touch and pet the pet the prairie dog. So she was a happy girl. And then they brought the prairie dog and showed it um, to all of us. And then it went back into its little kennel. And that was that was pretty much it for what we got to see. But back there, there was also a huge anteater, which was really cool to see. Some animal with black fur and a huge tail that I have no idea what it is. And other animals that they have back there. It was really cool. And then so we got back in our car and then we got a kind of a little thrill because... A cheetah was being led on a leash walking right to us. And then it just walked to us and walked past us. And you could just see the muscles rippling under the... It was just such a sleek, strong animal. It was just... We were pretty thrilled that we were so close to it. Of course, it ignored us completely. But I am I would rather it ignore us than lick its chops and look at us, you know? So that was fine with us. But that was really cool. Um after we saw, after we went there to that, the ambassador backstage area, um, Adriana then took us out into the park and we went to another backstage area where they have a copy. And it was funny because she asked, does anybody know what this animal is? And we're all like, a copy? And she looked surprised that we knew what animal, what the animal, of course the other three people didn't say anything because they didn't know. But we were we thought, well, at the Animal Kingdom, they have a copy there, and we always see them when we go on the safari tour. So it was really cool that they took us to an enclosure that had a copy, and we actually got to feed one. So we fed it carrots, celery, and some other vegetable. And it's it just ate like a giraffe with that big, long tongue and everything. But it was so cool. And so they talked to us about the care of these animals. They showed us how they get them into a small enclosure with a lot of padding on it. And every day, or not every day, but whenever they take it into the enclosure, they close it just a little bit more. And that's it. They're so careful in how they take care of these animals so they don't traumatize them. But eventually what they do is they put them in these enclosures so they can do physical checks on the animals um, if they need to do any of that. And so they do that for all of their animals, including the elephants. And she was telling us that those enclosures are huge, of course. But um, this was, that was, to me, that was one of the highlights because this is such an exotic animal. And I never in my life would have thought that I would have been so close to one. 
So that was, that was really neat. So then we went back in the cart after we got to visit with the Akapi and we kind of did the same tour that we did on the African tram tour. But this time Adriana pointed out things to us. She answered our questions. So it was a much more personal tour and we weren't in a rush. So we learned more stories about the animals um, that she told us. And she told us about the, um, there's these rhinoceroses that have front teeth. Um, and they use it not to attack other animals, but in their, um, mating ritual. And they have a tougher hide than the other rhinoceroses. And if you want to hear more about that, you guys need to go on the tour. I'm not going to tell you anymore, but, uh, it was really, really interesting. Just some of the different facts that she told us. Okay. So after the f large field enclosures, we then headed to the tiger trail and the behind the scenes area. So in the behind the scenes area, they have these huge, um, indoor enclosures where they keep the tigers. And there, that's where we saw the mother tiger and her three cubs that they recently, uh, let out. They, at that time when we saw them, they were still too young to go out and they were kept in the enclosure. And this was the mother's, her name was Joanne, her first litter. So they wanted to make sure that the cubs were fully ready to go out and be, you know, cause, People are still going to distract them and stuff, even though there's glass between us or, you know, we're looking down into the enclosure. So they just want to make sure that, that the mother was comfortable with her, with her cubs before putting them out. So that was really cool. And these cubs were born on January 28th. In addition to Joanne and her cubs, there was another female in another area. And I think her name was Majel, M-A-J-E-L. And she was really, really vocal. She was huffing and she was making all kinds of noise because in another outside enclosure, but nearby where she could smell him was a male tiger. And I think his name is Teddy and she really wanted to get with Teddy. So she was making a lot of noise. At least that's what the keepers were telling us. So while we were in the back area, we saw how they have cameras in all of these enclosures because the enclosures have various rooms. And they also, one of the cool things that they have there is they have um, uh, the toys that they have for the animals. And I'm trying to think, they have boxes. They have a, um, cardboard boxes and they put scents on the boxes uh, so that like they'll put different essential oils to make it interesting for the tigers. So they're always curious about these different smells. And so there's, um, Majel apparently liked floral scents. She was a very girly tiger and Teddy liked other musky scents. So it was really interesting to see that the different, the tig different tigers had different preferences on the scents. So they're always doing things to keep the animals stimulated and keep their, um, mentally stimulated. I mean, and they also had a lot of toys to keep them. Um, interested in, in seeing, in playing and doing things too. So they were showing us about that. And then they also, um, we got to see a, a real tiger skull that was there. And then we got to see the food that they feed the tigers. So for their birthdays, they do things like make like a blood pudding that they feed the tigers and they mm. let them, I noticed. <laughs> For, if you're uh, British, there's nothing wrong with a yeah. good blood pudding. Yeah, well, that's what they feed the tigers are like frozen blood. You know, they they give that to the tigers for them to to enjoy also. And frozen, uh, they had frozen rabbits 
and other frozen animals. And what they were telling us is they're very particular about the animals that they get. They have a certain distribution company. And if the company is not up to snuff, they will not buy from them. They were, she was telling us that they changed companies because this other one was allowing the, I'll call them feeder animals, to eat food that the safari park um, didn't approve of for their own animals. Because they want to make sure they don't get parasites and they want to make sure that they don't get any, uh, any sicknesses. So let's say an animal goes from the out, makes the mistake of entering the tiger enclosure and the tiger catches it, like squirrels and other animals that are out there. Yep. Um, they try to get it away from the tiger. They'll throw a huge, uh, huge thigh bone, like a, a cow thigh bone or something, so that the tigers will go after that meaty bone and drop the, the the wild varmint and then they'll take it out and again it's because they're they just want to make sure that the animals eat um healthy food so they're very very careful about that so um that was interesting to see that so by the time that we saw the different uh things there in the tiger enclosure it was already 5 p.m our day was over so the park was closed and we meandered to the front. Uh, we did go through that huge aviary before leaving though. And there were so many beautiful birds in there. It was cool because people weren't rushing us. We could take our time. Um, next time I'm definitely going to take uh, my big camera. I just had my iPhone camera and it takes nice pictures, but my zoom lens would have really uh, been nice to have when we go over there. So, like I said, we were there at the safari park from open to close. And remember how I said that one of the things I really wanted to do was to see the shows? We didn't see one show <laughs> while we were there. So, there was so much to see and do. Plus, we took that awesome backstage tour that we just ran out of time. So, we didn't see the Hidden Jungle, which is located in the Nairobi Village. That has a climate-controlled indoor exhibit with tropical African birds, insects, arachnids. And the shows that um, we didn't see um, are there's a tiger keeper talk at Tiger Trail. It would have been fine to miss that because we went on the on the backstage tour. They have a free- can you repeat that about four times faster? Yeah, I know, right? Alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a frequent flyers bird show at the Gorilla Forest twice a day. I really wanted to see that, but we missed it. A raptor flight at Shiley's Cheetah Run Lion Camp, which is one a day. And the Shiley's Cheetah Run Camp, um, which is at once a day. And that was done during our our um, backstage tour. But because we were doing so many other things, we didn't do the shows. So I have to go back so I can go visit the park again and and um, and see the shows. And do all, all kinds of different, I mean, everything yeah. different almost, right? Yeah, do, do the different experience. And, and for you planners, I recommend going. They have an excellent website. And it's, it's really cool because you can, you can do different things. You can look and see what different, um, stuff they have going on during the day. Or you can say, I want to see this kind of animal or that kind of animal. And it tells you where to go to see the different animals. And you can hit a plus sign that'll tell you, you know, what to do. That's something I didn't do when I, when we went, but next time I am going to do it. Also, if you purchase tickets online for the, for the park and for the experiences, you get a 10% discount. So it, it does pay to prepare ahead of time if you want to do that. So a one-day pass for the park is $50. Uh, children is 
two-day passes, $90 or $70. And then some of the experiences they have there, they have a jungle safari, which is $50, and a cart safari, which is $50. That'll either take you to the field enclosures for either Africa or Asia. They have the balloon safari, which is the one that I told you about. I couldn't find the price for that, but I think it's $50 for a little under 15 minutes. They have the flight line, which is the zip line, which is $75. Takes you 130 feet above. They have a training run and then the final launch, which goes for about two-thirds of a mile um, above the park. Behind the scenes is the tiger uh, safari that we went on. They also have a lion cheetah and a vet medical center all of these are about eighty dollars well not about they are eighty dollars to go on them the what i was told is the only one that guarantees that you'll see animals are the is the cheetah the tigers there's not always a guarantee that you'll see the animals because if they're um in their enclosures and behind something you're not going to necessarily see it but they said that for the cheetahs there's a guarantee animal visit so i'm might do that next time. Although Kelly wants to do the um, Raptor Safari because the Raptor Safari allows you to actually let a hawk sit on your, on your arm. So she did a, Ooh, when I told her about it and I, I just have this vision of a hawk poking out my eye and I was like I think I'd rather do the tiger safari but we might do that one too that's something she really liked they used to have a Segway safari but they got rid of Segways like the Disney parks did and now it's a motorized trike Nancy would appreciate this it's a motorized yes. trike <laughs> it's an hour-long tour that's uh cost $75 to go on it and they said it's mostly motorized so I guess when you're going uphill you get a little help and you don't have to ride the, you know, pedal your bike well, you the know, whole time. That makes perfect sense, especially for people who, you know, wouldn't have the shape to pedal up hills. Exactly, like right? Me currently. <laughs> <laughs> and me. But um, I, it's just another cool way to experience this. They also have a caravan safari. This is $110, and you go to two field enclosures, and you get to feed the giraffes. This is what we had seen earlier. Uh, it's two hours to do that, or three and a half hours uh, for $165, where you get to do a little bit more. Um, then they have the Ultimate Safari, which is a personalized five-hour adventure for only $599. Yeah. So for, for people who have, uh, you know, who, who want that VIP tour and have the funds, they can either do five hours or eight hours and have a personal guide take them all over the park if you want to do that. They also have dining events. They have, and I wish I had seen this before because we definitely would have done this, done this. It's breakfast with the tigers, which is an hour before the park opens. And that's $45 per person. And you just go to the, where the tigers are and, and, um, have your breakfast. And then their seasonal dining events would be the Mother's Day or Father's Day buffets and that summer brewmeister dinner and other things that come up throughout the year. So. People ask, what's the difference between the San Diego Zoo and Safari Park? And it's been a long time since I've been to the San Diego Zoo. And I asked my friend Leslie, um, cause she, she's been to both of them a lot, which was better. And she said, it depends what you want to do. And I hate answers like that, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's totally true. It is true. If you want to go see koalas and you want to go see penguins 
and animals that, that, you know, in those environs and in that kind of um, space, then you want to go to a zoo. But if you want to see animals that would be in Africa or Asia in a large area and see them in their natural habitat, as well as the other animals that I had mentioned, like the, a lot of the California animals, then you're going to, you're going to want to go to the safari park. So if you have a zoo in your own hometown or nearby that you go to, then the safari park might be a better choice because the experience is so different, especially when you do the behind the scenes tours. It's just really cool. Um, the San Diego Safari Park is located a little over 30 miles from the San Diego Zoo. And it's about 85 miles from the Disneyland Resort. So figure on an hour and a half to two hour drive from the Disneyland Resort to get to the Safari Park. But it's pretty cool. It's a nice drive and you're going to go. I think the drive is really neat. You're going to see a lot of the Southern California landscape. You're going to see the ocean uh, as you drive down the, the five freeway. And then you're going to see what Southern California is like, our natural habitat, as you drive towards the park. So it's a nice drive. Um, I want to give a big thank you to our Diz Podcast friend, uh, Jeff Peterson. He um, actually, he reached out to us when I mentioned the dinosaur exhibit, and he works there at the Safari Park. And he told us about how he was involved when they had the dinosaur exhibit at the Safari Park before it was moved over to the LA Zoo. And then from that, you know, started thinking, well, shoot, I told Tom, I think I want to do a, a segment on the Safari Park because it's such a cool place to go to. And then when Jeff prompted us, so he's also sent us news stories about the exhibits, um, um, as well as other information that he sent. He, uh, we met up with him when we were there. He also gave me some pretty good tips on, different things that, you know, don't miss, don't, don't miss this or that. He's the one that told us to go to that, um, the greenhouse with all the flowers. I would not have thought to have gone there if he hadn't have mentioned it. And I'm so glad he did. So a uh, huge thank you to Jeff. Um, I'm definitely going to be visiting the park again. I'll be giving, I'll give my opinion about visiting at different times of the year since I'm going to go. I don't know if I'm going to go in the summer. Right now the park is open nine to five. And then from June through August, it's open 9 to 8 p.m. So you get an additional three hours. Middle of the day is going to be pretty darn hot because that's the way the the Inland Empire, as we call that part of California, is. It's pretty hot. But again, as the sun goes down and you and you and the evening comes on, it's absolutely beautiful. So I'm really tempted to go during that time to see what it's like and just kind of relax during the hot part of the day and then go see the animals as it's as the evening comes on i'm also going to be visiting the san diego zoo so i'll give you my own personal thoughts and not what leslie said <laughs> about the the um the zoo itself and the difference between the zoo and the safari park um so do you, do you recommend two days for the safari park you know i i if people have the time tom i really do now it depends you know some people are going to go through and they're going to say oh this is a bunch of animals and they're just going to walk through okay but for those who really appreciate and want to learn more about, like per, personally for me, when I go someplace, I want to learn about the place that I'm going to. Otherwise, it's it doesn't it it just means more to me when I learn about it. So for people who are who are able to do it, I would say at least a day and a half, maybe two days would be nice. Okay, so 
that's quite a drive back and forth. Are there is there lodging nearby? Um, I would. Sorry, say, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> no, I because I'm thinking of the seventy. Of course, there's lodging, but is there lodging that people are going to want to stay at? Is the question. Right. But I think if a person is doing like a let's say the Legoland, and they're home based there, that's pretty. Carlsbad is. The 78, so to get there, you're going to take the 5 from <laughs> Disneyland. I know I sound like the Californians, right? You're going to take the 5 south to the 78. 78 is at Oceanside. So from Oceanside, that's going to be, it's not a, a real long drive. Or, or Carlsbad. If you're going to stay at the Legoland um, Hotel there, you can do that. So if you're going to, I would say make your home base at Oceanside. Because then you get to eat at those real cool beachside uh, cafes over there and have s- another cool experience, Southern California experience. Go to the, go to the zoo, have dinner at the, uh, uh looking out over the Pacific Ocean. There you go. Cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, for people who like this experience, definitely two days. Okay. For people who are going to just kind of rush through and maybe not do one of the backstage tours one full day. And maybe, you know, in the summer when you get those extra three hours, then it's one full day. You just have to be able to tolerate extreme heat. All right. Can't wait to hear more. Yeah. I, it, it's been a long time. I think we went out there once, but it's been a long time. I was going to say, it's time. been a long yeah. time for us yeah. to be to have gone south. And, and, and you know what it, it was? We were on a cruise. And one of the, we left out of LA or San Pedro or something. And one of the, the first stop was San Diego, which really weird, but one of the <laughs> stops was San Diego. And so from the cruise, we did an excursion to the wild animal park. So, so that must have been like probably a 45 minute drive from, <laughs> from the zoo, I'm thinking. Yeah. To go up the five to the 78. Because it's 32 miles from the LA from the San Diego Zoo, which is close to where, um, maybe like 10 minutes from the port in San Diego. Okay. It's pretty close. So it was yeah, a long time I, ago. It's, so then you it, you're probably doing it was it was it was, B, it was BW before Four West. <laughs> I, I knew what you meant when you said that. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Mary Jo. Thanks, Nancy. That is going to do it for this segment of the Diz Unplugged. Be sure to catch all of our other Diz Unplugged podcasts this week. And, of course, we will be back again with you next week. Until then, remember, Disneyland is always more magical when it's shared. Thanks for listening. <laughs>